Welcome to the FaithBridge Sermon Podcast. Be sure to keep watching immediately after the sermon for Postscript, a weekly podcast with in-depth content and answers to your questions submitted during the sermon. You can also find it on iTunes or at faithbridge.org slash postscript. Well, my name is Timothy Atik. I'm the director of Vertical Ministries in Waco, and it is so good to be back here today with you. Just want to give a shout out real quick to the people over in the woodlands. want to say hello to people here on the Klein campus and also on the web today. As I was preparing, I couldn't help but think of the first time that my wife and I made the terrible decision to fly with a small child. Um, this happened several years ago. I don't know if, you've, if, if you're a parent, if you think back to that moment that you made that unfortunate decision, but we decided to fly from Austin to Birmingham with our son Noah, who was eight months old at the time. And I just remember being on the airplane, and it reached this moment where Noah just refused to be pacified. And I mean, my wife and I, we pulled out our entire bag of tricks, and nothing was working. And so my wife and I, we began to get frantic. And because we were frantic, we turned on each other. That's what can happen when kids are in the mix. You get frantic towards a kid, you turn on each other. And uh, I think it became obvious that my wife and I had turned on each other to the people behind us because as we sat there, a note got passed <laughs> through the seat. And uh, I opened up this note, and there was a diagram on it. it. It was a triangle, and at the top of the triangle was the name God. And then in the two corners, at the bottom, there was husband and wife. And then there was a note to the side that said, the closer that you get to God, the closer you will get to each other. Now that's an interesting note to get when you're a pastor, all right? <laughs> it is. So I took the note and just put, no duh, signed Reverend Timothy Atik. No, not really. But let me just tell you what was happening in that moment. In that moment, at least, I was being a hypocrite, all right? I knew the truth, but I wasn't living out the truth. That's what a hypocrite is, right? It's someone who knows the truth but doesn't live it out. There's information, but there isn't application. And at least in that moment, that's what was happening. Now, unfortunately, that's not the only time in my life where I've struggled with hypocrisy. That's not the only time where there's been information lacking application. I actually think that that's a normal struggle in the Christian life. I think every Christian struggles with hypocrisy. I think we all struggle with living out the truth that we know. So if we view church kind of as the classroom and the rest of the week as the lab where we are supposed to live out the truth that we learned in the classroom, I think that we can struggle at times with the lab. This morning, we're going to step into the book of Ecclesiastes, specifically in chapter 5. And in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, King Solomon is going to tell us that our struggle goes even deeper. And what he's going to tell us is that we don't just struggle sometimes with the lab. We can even struggle with the classroom hypocrisy can even exist in our lives when we step into this room. We can struggle living out the truth in here. So this morning, this message is going to feel a little bit different than most Sundays because most Sundays we come in here and we talk about how we can live more authentically Christian lives once we leave church. Today, King Solomon's going to tell us how we can live more authentically Christian lives when we come to church. And this is going to be a very important message. And the reason it's so important is because God cares deeply about what we are doing here. He cares about what is going on in our lives in this moment right now. So if you have a Bible, I want you to join me in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Solomon starts out, verse 1, and he says this. 
Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Very simply, guard your steps. Be careful what you do. Why? Because God cares deeply about what you do when you step into this place. I, um, I used to go to a gym. I say that so that you know there was a point where at least I worked out some, all right? But there, I used to go uh, to this gym that had a sign on the door walking in and it said this, it said, showing up is half the battle. I loved that sign. It just made me feel better about myself because it made me feel like I had already accomplished so much. It kind of took the pressure off and, and being at the gym, I could just think, at least I'm here. Because I could definitely not be here right now. And I think it's, it's easy for us to kind of carry that same mentality into church. You know, it's kind of like showing up is half the battle. Some of you are like, let's get real. Showing up is the battle, all right? It's the whole battle. Like if you knew everything I've gone through just before 11 o'clock this morning, just to get here, it's the battle. And so I think it's, we, we can take on this mentality of, you know, at least I'm here. Because I could definitely not be here right now. I think uh, coming into church, it, it can just make us feel better about life, and that's a great thing. I think that coming into this place and having it as part of our routine, it can just make us feel more right with God, and there's nothing wrong with that at all. But what we do need to realize is that God cares about what actually goes on in our hearts in this place. And God's not up in heaven taking role. He's not nearly as concerned with the quantity of worship services that you attend as he is with the quality of your worship in the services that you attend. So Solomon starts out and he says, hey, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. And the reason that he's telling us that is because Solomon knows that the quality of our worship can vary. It can vary. And he clarifies how it can vary in the next line. He differentiates between two types of worship. He says, to draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. So he's saying there is a better way. When you come into this place, it is so much better to draw near to listen than it is to come and offer the sacrifice of fools. The best quality is to draw near to listen. Well, I think that begs the question, to listen to who? Because what Solomon is saying is the best thing that we can do this morning is be here to listen. To listen to who? Is it to listen to an incredible band? Is it to listen to me on different Sundays? Is it to listen to Pastor Ken or Ben Stewart? To listen to who? Well, I think who Solomon is talking about is God himself. When we draw near, Solomon is saying, you come into this place expecting to hear from God because God cares that you are here because he is here. And he wants you to listen to him because he wants to say something to you. I don't know if that's on your radar this morning. I don't know when you stepped into this place, did you think, wait, 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 I'm showing up because the God of the universe actually takes thought of me and he has actually planned to say something specific into my life this morning. See, what Solomon is encouraging is this. When you show up to worship, show up to encounter and enjoy God himself. I mean, in any healthy relationship, there is communication where both people talk. And I think that that's why worship services are split up how they are. There's a time of worship through singing and then a time of worship through reading the word. Well, the time of worship through singing is our opportunity to talk to God. And then when we open the word of God, it is God's opportunity to share his words with us. We have the opportunity right now to meet with the creator of the universe, the one who spoke the oceans 
and the mountains in the place is excited to speak to each one of us. Solomon says, draw near to listen. That is so much better than to come and offer the sacrifice of fools. Well, what's the sacrifice of fools? Well, it's the idea that if you step into this place and God is here longing and excited to meet with you, it's the thought that you come in here, you go through motions, you go through a routine, and then you hit the doors having never engaged with God at all. And here's the scary thing. It is pretty easy to offer the sacrifice of fools. I offer the sacrifice of fools far more often than I'd ever like to imagine. Because here's what it can look like, okay? You show up, you sit in your seat, you know, you kind of just, you have your seat. Some people have your seat, no one's supposed to sit in it, but the rest of you, you don't care. But you come in, and then there's the one song before the welcome and announcements. That's kind of the warm-up song. Like, you're not really expected to participate. It's just kind of the warm-up, right? You're just kind of getting accustomed to the room. You're just kind of getting settled into church. And then there's the announcements. And then we get into the main, the main songs. And when we start singing, it is so easy to just engage autopilot worship. Autopilot worship is amazing. Because you can literally sing every word that you can be like, this is amazing. I mean, you won't be singing as good as I can, but you'll be singing every word to every song while thinking about something totally different. So while you're singing, you can be thinking about the argument you had with your spouse on the way to church because that's when most arguments happen is on the way to church, right? So you're thinking about what your spouse said to you that really ticked you off. You're thinking about what you have to do this week or, I mean... It's, it's getting closer to lunchtime, so you're beginning to think, where are we going? It's autopilot worship. And then worship ends, and I get up here, and I have a few minutes to capture your attention before you begin to think, well, I don't know if I'm really into what he's talking about this morning. What, what do I have going on this week? Could I leave? Probably not, but... Uh, and then I finish, and then there's kind of the... The song at the end, which is kind of like, for some it's like, that's my cue. Like, it's, it's, it's time to go. Or, or you wait till we pray. So no one will see you. And then you, that's too convicting. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> and then we leave. And at no point during that time was there any engagement with God, Solomon would say, this is the sacrifice of fools. You have an option when you come in here. There's two different types of sacrifices you can offer. You can either offer the sacrifice of fools or you can offer the sacrifice of praise. What we have to remember is that Jesus Christ stepped out of heaven and into earth. He made payment for all of our sins. He rose from the dead as a declaration that his payment was accepted to God. He went through all of that so that we could offer the sacrifice of praise. Jesus came to bring us together to the Father. He came to reconcile us. This is the beautiful work of Christ, that every single one of us was born an enemy of God, and we don't like to think that, but Paul is pretty clear in Ephesians 2. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were by nature children of wrath. We were born enemies of God. Christ came, why? To bring us into the family of God so that we who were enemies could become children. Christ came so that we could have the privilege of drawing near to listen to our perfect heavenly Father. Another way to put it is Christ saved us from religion and saved us to a relationship. He saved us from needing to come into this place and going through a bunch of rituals so that we could somehow earn the love, acceptance, approval, favor of God. No, he saved us from that and he saved us to the privilege of stepping into this place where we are already loved, already accepted, already approved of. We already have favor and we can simply enjoy our perfect Heavenly Father who delights in meeting with us. When you come into this place, you need to decide which sacrifice you're going to offer, the sacrifice of fools or the sacrifice of praise. I think, I think anytime we step into a time of worship, it is healthy when we sit down to just pause for a second and just say, hey, why am I here right now? 
answer that question right now for yourself. Why are you here? Maybe you're here because this is what you do on Sundays. This has been a long-standing Sunday routine. Maybe you're here because a friend invited you. Maybe you're here um, because being at church just makes you feel better about life. Maybe you're here for the sake of your kids, that you feel like it's a good parenting move to get your kids here. If one of those reasons got you in this morning, let me just say, I am so glad that it did. And those are great reasons to be in this room this morning. But now that you're here, let's let those reasons become secondary. And may our real reason be, we want to have an enjoyable encounter with God himself. Solomon moves on. Look what he says in verse two. He says, be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. Solomon's advice is, is really simple. He said, you know, when you step into a time of worship, think about who you're coming to meet with. Think about who you are coming to meet with. You are actually stepping in to meet with the Lord of lords and King of kings. So in light of who you are coming to meet with, make sure you think about what you are saying because what you don't want to do is end up saying things that you don't really mean. I, um, as I was preparing, I thought about the, uh, the first time ever that I told a girl that I loved her. I don't know if you remember the first time you ever told someone um, outside of your immediate family that you love them, but for me, I didn't, first person I told, I said I love you to, it wasn't my wife, it was a different girl. I was a sophomore in high school, and I uttered those three words standing in the food court of putt-putt golfing games in Dallas. I don't know if just the go-karts and like the hum of the arcade behind me just was like, oh, I love you, I don't know, I just know that I do. I don't know if that just put me in that place or what. But as I think back on that moment, here's what I realize. I mean, I think I cared a lot about that girl. But now that I have a hint of what love is, I think looking back on that moment, um, I think I loved, I, I think I loved that experience. I think I loved the experience more than I loved the girl. Does that make sense? Like I loved the moment more than I loved the girl. And the reason that I tell you that is I think the same thing can happen here. We step into this place, man, we bring down the lights, the band does an incredible job. I mean, they, they, they play the right chords, just those chords that just pull at our heart. And it puts us in this, for the feelers here, it, it stirs the emotions. Maybe you begin to lift your hands, maybe you close your eyes, and, and it can put you in a moment that you really love. And because you love the moment, you might begin to say things to God. But if you are honest, you're saying things that you really don't mean. I'll just give you some examples. I, I think what I'm trying to say is we need to be careful what we allow to say when we step into this place. For example, we, a lot of times we'll sing that worship song, Oceans, which is a really popular song. And it's a, it, it's a great song, but I want you to think about what you are actually telling God when you sing Oceans. You are saying, Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you would take me. And it goes on, it says, I want my faith to be deeper, okay? Is that what you really want to be telling God? Do you want God to call you out to step and walk on water? Do you want God to put you in a place that is so uncertain in life that you have no choice but to depend on him? Do you want God to put you in a place where he begins to stretch your faith and it's uncomfortable? 
We have to be careful what we are saying or else we might find ourselves, Spirit, lead me where my trust is without boards. And then we walk out and it's like, don't you touch my life. Because we didn't think about what we said. There's times where we sing a song that says, Christ is enough. Christ is enough. Is that really what you want to tell Jesus in this moment? To say, Jesus, you're enough. When I leave here, if I don't get the, if I don't get the promotion, you're enough. If we don't get the money, you're enough. If I don't ever get the new house or the new car, if I'd never get the, the girl, if my marriage never really comes back to the place I want it to be, Jesus, you are enough. Is that what you really want to say? We say sometimes Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Is that what you want to admit? Jesus, I owe you everything. All of my life belongs to you. All of my time is your time. All of my affection is directed towards you. All of my attention, I'm giving it to you. All of my resources are your resources. My money, it's your money. All to you I owe, Jesus. Is that what we want to tell him this morning? If so, awesome. But be careful. When you step into this place, remember who you are talking to for fear that you might say things that you don't really mean. One of the best things we can do when we walk into this place is just to pause and say, okay, who am I coming to meet with right now? I love what happened with Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter six, Isaiah gets a vision of the throne room of God and as he beholds the throne room of God, he sees the seraphim crying out to each other and they're they're crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And Isaiah is beholding God and he feels the throne room shake and when it does, he involuntarily cries out, woe is me, I am lost. I love that. Woe is me, I am lost. I took a wrong turn, okay? I don't belong here. Now that I see God for who he is, one thing is really clear, I'm in the wrong place. He says, woe is me, I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips. What he's saying is now that I see God, I also see that my words have been far, far too careless. I think maybe one of the best things we can do sometimes when we step into this place and sing is instead of singing, we just read the words and we just be honest with God to say, okay, God, I, uh, you, uh, I'm, I'm not there yet. I, I'm not there right now, but I want to be there. Christ, you're, I, I don't feel like you're enough for me right now and I, I know that that's wrong and I want you to be enough for me. I want to get there. Or maybe it's to be just really honest and say, I want to want to be there because I'm not. Solomon's point is when we draw near, may our words be few and sincere instead of many and fake. He continues, watch what he says now, verse 4. This passage is way too convicting, by the way. Verse four, he says this. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. So what Solomon is saying, there's, there are going to be these times where you come into a time of worship and you meet with God, and in that moment, God is, be going, to, he is going to begin to clarify some things for you. And he is going to show you what he wants you to do. And in that moment, you're going to agree with God. So he might say, you know what? After church, you just need to ask forgiveness from your spouse for that argument that you guys had on the way to church. Like, you need to just own your part. And in that moment, you're going to agree with him and just say, yeah, God, that's what I need to do. Or maybe he's going to show you, you need to go and reconcile with these people that you're holding on to anger, bitterness, and resentment towards you. You need to go and and reconcile with them. Maybe you need to step out of an unhealthy dating relationship. Maybe you step in here and he calls you to give of your time, your talent, your treasure to the church in in a new way than you have. And something in you, it, it, it's, those things are, are uh, gonna resonate in your soul 
And you're gonna see clearly and you're gonna agree with God and just say, yes, God, that is what I believe I need to do and I, I wanna do that. But then when you leave here in delay, what happens is you buy time for the evil one. And what the evil one can do is push some fog into your mind. And then he begins to speak lies. Lies like, do you really need to ask her forgiveness? She needs to ask your forgiveness. Because you ask forgiveness and what you are saying is, I was wrong, you're right. Is that really what you want to be communicating right now? Maybe God's calling you to confess some sin to someone so you're just living in the light. Satan speaks in and says, you, there, it, you can't be fully known and fully loved. No, if people know the real you, they will run. Maybe God calls you to step out of an unhealthy dating relationship. Oh, wait, can you really imagine your life without him in it? God's calling you to give some of your time, talent, treasure to the church. Do you really think the church needs your money? And what happens is we agree with God, we delay, and then we cave. And we don't follow through. Let me just ask you right now a convicting question. Is there anything that you have vowed to do that you haven't done? Is there anything in your life right now that God has convicted you of, asked you to do, you've agreed with him, vowed to do it, and you haven't done it? If so, let me just gently read you Solomon's words again. In verse four, he says, when you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it. For he has no pleasure in fools. Very simply, pay what you vow. And he, he continues on and he builds upon that same point in verse five and he says this. <clears throat> he says, it's better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? His, his point is very simple. You know what? It's better to not vow anything than to vow and not pay. I couldn't help when I read these verses. I couldn't help but think of all of the times in my life where I have overpromised and underdelivered with God. I don't know if you can identify with that at all, but I can think of so many times where I've overpromised and underdelivered with God. This can really happen especially in a spiritual vacuum. Okay, so I've spent a lot of time this summer speaking at youth camps, and I see these students come. Uh, into these moments where it's a spiritual vacuum where everything's about Jesus. So they see Jesus clear, clearly and then they make these big commitments for God. This can happen when we get in spiritual vacuums, but not just there. It can happen when we come to church. It can happen when we're driving in the car where we kind of begin to see life with Jesus clearly. And something in us wants to make a radical change for Jesus. And so we make a bold commitment. So maybe, you know, for me, there's been several times in my past where, you know, January 1 comes around. It's like, God, I'm going to go through the whole Bible this year. So I blaze through Genesis. I eat up Leviticus. And then I crater in Leviticus. Wait, what did I just say? No, I eat up Genesis, blaze through Exodus, crater. In Leviticus. You ever done that before? Just me. Okay, good. I'm glad that you guys are just soaking up Leviticus out there. <laughs> Whatever. And I crater on my commitment. I see guys, you know, they're like, man, I'm never going to look at pornography ever again. I'm never going to look at a woman again. I'm a bachelor to the rapture, all right? Like, I'm in it to win it. You know what? I'm never going to raise my voice on my spouse ever again. We make big commitments that have wording like never again or for the rest of my life. I don't know if you've ever made commitments like that to God. And then shortly after, we fall through on our commitment. 
Solomon says it's, it's better to not vow than to vow and not pay. So I just want to help us do a better job of vowing and paying, following through on what we committed. Let me just give us two easy rules to live by when it comes to making commitments to God. Number one, fulfill small commitments, okay? Fulfill small commitments because fulfilling small commitments can give you energy and confidence when it comes to fulfilling bigger commitments. Like if you've ever, like if you've never really had any type of consistency when it comes to reading the Bible, if you've always struggled with getting into any type of habit with that, then you probably shouldn't be committing to read through the whole Bible in a year. Start small. Pick, pick James, five chapters. Commit to reading James. If you read that, great. Step it up to one of the Gospels. That'll be somewhere between 16 and 28 chapters. If you knock one of those out, awesome. Move on to a grouping of books. You can do all of Paul's books in the New Testament. You can do the four Gospels. You knock that out, move up to a testament. You knock out an entire testament, then take on the entire Bible. If you've struggled to have any type of consistent, like, quiet time with God, then don't make a promise that for the rest of your life, every day, you're gonna have a consistent quiet time. No, start small. Try three days a week. Just say, God, three days this week, I wanna have time where I sit with you, spend time hearing from you, and then I'm gonna talk to you. Three days this week, do that. Three days a week for a month. If you do that, ratchet it up to four days. I think that God honors that. Fulfill small commitments. The second rule to live by is this. Commit moments instead of a lifetime. Commit a moment to God instead of a lifetime to God. Especially when it comes to stepping out of sin, we want to make these big noble promises of God for the rest of my life. I'm never going to struggle with this again. But you know what? Just commit a moment. Say, God, I don't want to, I don't want to offend you with this in this way for this afternoon. God, help me to be faithful to you for the afternoon. And then after the afternoon, when, it, when you roll into evening, God, help me to make it through the evening. I need your help to get through this evening. And then in the morning, God, I give you my morning. God, I don't wanna struggle with this specific sin this morning. I give you my morning, and I'm committing to, to walking with you and being faithful to you in this area this morning. Here's the hope. The hope is that several moments committed to God would snowball into an entire day committed to God. And the hope is that a bunch of moments that snowball into a day would snowball into days committed to God, which would snowball into weeks committed to God, which would snowball into months and years and ultimately a lifetime committed to God. Commit a moment instead of a lifetime, so that we might be men and women who vow and pay. Watch how Solomon closes out this passage this morning. Verse seven, he says verse seven to kind of sum up what he's saying. He says this, for when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity, but God is the one you must fear. Solomon is simply saying, hey, when you draw near to worship, when you step into a worship setting and you just begin to daydream and then you begin to just babble with your words, your worship will be frustratingly empty and you will leave this place with no intimacy with God. Your relationship with him will feel dry, it will feel forced, and it will begin to feel irrelevant. So Solomon says the key at the foundational level, if there's anything that we need to lay on the ground floor to then build upon, it's this. We fear God. 
That's at the ground level. Fear God. What does it mean to fear God? Does it mean that we stand and tremble afraid of God? No, that's not what it means to fear God. To fear God is simply to see God for who he is and then to respond rightly to God. <clears throat> Excuse me. Respond rightly to God because of who he is. We have to remember that our view of God will determine our response to God. We will only have a big response to God when we first have a big view of him. So Solomon says, when you step into this place, you fear him. You get a vision for him. See him for who he is. It's like, a, it's like on a wedding day. You think about a groom standing on the altar. They fling open those doors, and what does he see? Man, he sees the most beautiful thing that he's ever seen. They fling open the doors, and as that man beholds the beauty of his woman, not just the outward beauty, but he begins to think about who she is and everything that she means to him, and he begins to see life with her as clearly as he's ever seen. She comes up and stands next to him. There's only one right response for him in that moment. I absolutely do. I do. See, when we step into this place on Sunday mornings, our job as the teachers, the worship leaders, our goal is simply to throw open the doors on God's beauty. That's our goal, is to throw open those doors, just like at a wedding ceremony, throw open the doors for you to behold just how good, great, loving God is. And when you see him for who he is, what you do is you respond rightly in light of who he is. You fear him so that your worship is true and authentic. I'll close just by saying this. Uh, I want to make sure you know what my goal is this morning. My goal is not to impose restrictions on our worship. Like in just a minute, we're going to sing. Like you can sing. It's going to be okay. You don't, you, 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 please sing. My goal isn't to impose restrictions into our, in our worship. No, my goal is to bring reverence. Just want to bring reverence to our worship. The good news is that because of what Christ has done for us, his grace is sufficient to cover over all of our failures, even in here. And anytime we come into this place, we can boldly approach his throne. We can confidently come to him in any moment that we are willing to refocus and fear him and respond rightly to him. He welcomes us with open arms, longing to speak to us and enjoy us and encounter us. But may we be clear. God will be most glorified and we will be most satisfied when we worship him freely yet authentically and reverently. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you and praise you for who you are. <clears throat> we thank you that you have come to, that we might have the privilege of drawing near to you. God, we want to meet with you. We don't want to just be here to hear a worship leader or a teacher. God, we are here to, to have you speak to us. We want to enjoy you and encounter you this morning, God. Lord, forgive us for all the times that our worship has been full of hypocrisy. Lord, we struggle not just with living out the truth in the lab, we struggle living out the truth in the classroom. Thanks that your grace covers over all of it, Lord. But we want to experience more of you, and we want to give you the honor and praise that is rightfully yours. We love you. Trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. Welcome to Postscript. Here we hope to answer your questions and help you dig deeper into the messages and sermons at FaithBridge by talking with the teacher of the day. Welcome to Postscript. I'm Luann Riley, and I'm here with Timothy Atik from Vertical Ministries, and he just talked about true worship. Welcome back, Timothy. So good to be yes, here. Yes, glad to have you back again. Um, we're going to take a look at really just some, some clarifications around some things you said and just speak more into um, 
worship and how that applies to small groups Great. and things like that. I'm going to start with a question that um, came in that um, I could have probably sent in myself. Sure. Um, my kids and I love to listen to KSBJ and in the car we're always singing loud. So should we be more careful about what we sing? Um, and that kind of ties into a second question that came in that um, I aspire to be what's in the song. Yeah. Does it make me a hypocrite if I'm singing those along with my kids? Or, or can you speak yeah. more to that? Well, I think listening to KSBJ is such a healthy thing for you and your family to do because the, the Bible talks so much about the mind and dwelling on what is mm. true. And really transformation happens in our life. It starts with the mind. Mm -hmm. It You know, be renewed by the, the transformation transformation of your mind. Paul says in Colossians 3, set your mind on things above. Philippians 4, 8, finally, whatever is true, right? He goes through a list, let your mind dwell on these things. So that is a good thing for you guys to do, to be singing along in the car. Psalm 100, make a joyful noise to the mm -hmm. Lord. Come into his presence with singing. Singing is biblical and you are doing something big, biblical when y'all sing together. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't, feel like you need to impose any type of restrictions on your singing in the car. If anything, what I hope is the, the whole goal of the message, and I said this at the end, but is really just to help bring us back to reverence. And so what a great opportunity in the car with your kids to just use those songs to talk about truth, to pause sometimes and just say, hey, let's just talk real quick about what we're singing. Man, I love how this song talks about God's grace or his love or that he's a father. What does that mean for us? And so it's, God loves it when we sing to him. And so sing freely and enjoy it. But it's also good to be intentional and just say, okay, what are we singing? Mm -hmm. And this is a good family moment for us to just uh, continually be renewing our minds. And, and not let the importance of the words yeah. or the meaning or the message just pass you by. Yeah. yeah, that's right. And in terms of, you know, the the bottom line is that we are all, um, we all continue to sin. And I, I even said it at the beginning of my talk. I think hypocrisy, a struggle with hypocrisy is a part of the, the Christian life. And, and we are, we are works in progress for the rest of our lives. And so, you know, there'll never be a moment where we don't need God's grace in our lives, which means anytime we sing, we're going to be singing things that aren't 100% genuine in our hearts and praise God for his grace, mm. that it even covers over those moments. And that's why we can sing freely and confidently, knowing that God's grace sufficiently covers over mm. those moments where we say things that we don't mean, but we want, but we want to, to mean, mean those <laughs> things. I think that that goes a long way with God to just mm. say, you know what, my heart is willing, my flesh is weak, but that's what I want. And you know, part of the Christian life is just reminding yourself of what you want to be true of you and singing towards that helps you focus your efforts mm. that way. Good, Good word. Um, so uh, we had a question come in that's, that, that is asking, how do we get to the point um, where our speech when we're in worship and our vows that we make to God are honest? Um, what should our prayer be as we're coming to church? How do we enter into that reverently. Yeah. yeah. I think it really comes down to reminding yourself of who you are coming to meet with. It's really, you know, the best thing that you can pray when you get into the room is, God, I want to encounter you this morning. So would you help me look past the person speaking and the person singing and help me to look to you mm. because I really want to encounter you. And even to, in that moment to ask God, God, Remind me of who you are right now. Just in my mind, put a few of your attributes. Just remind me of who you are so that I'm more prepared. Okay, God, you are, you are loving, you are gracious, you are kind, you are good. It just kind of jump starts your mind and kind of zeroes you in on who God is. And when you see him a little bit more clearly, it naturally will change your response. That's good. Does that make sense? That's good. And the next question is something that I, I think we all we all struggle with is um, you're you're praising God and you're coming here to worship and then these you even talked about them these thoughts they creep in whether they're um, 
away from what God wants or the fight in the car or the list of to-dos and, and your mind begins to spin in a different direction, how do we um, turn our thoughts back? How do we reclaim those yeah. moments? Well, you got to remember that the, the Christian life, it's a battle. Mm -hmm. It's a, I mean, there is a force against us when we come into this place because what we are doing here is glorifying God. And there is an enemy that seeks to, to steal God of all of his glory. So we should expect that battle to have those thoughts that tempt us to distract us. And so we, um, those thoughts are going to come. And I think it's, it's a matter of, you know, you might go through a worship service and get distracted 20 times in each of those 20 times to just say, God, all right, I, God cares about what we care about. So if you keep going to your to-do list, there's probably something on there that's stressing you out. Well, the Bible talks about that. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So turn that distraction into worship to say, God, I'm not even going to sing right now. I need to deal with you on what's stressing me out. My to-do list is stressing me out. So God, I'm bringing this to you. And just reclaim that moment by taking what's distracting you and turning it toward God, mm. if that it's makes good. sense. It does. It's great. Um, one of the questions that comes in, um, oftentimes we get questions when we're teaching from an Old Testament passage, um, which I love that you taught from Ecclesiastes today. Um, and the question came in about the application of it. And I know you spoke to it a little bit at the yeah. end of the message, but just kind of speak into that again of, um, does it change with the new covenant or with Jesus entering the picture? Does the application of this change? Well, I think, I think if anything, the, the, the app, the, the way that Jesus changes things is just that he brings us. We're not, we're not coming to God through a mediator. I mean, Christ is our mediator, but he has brought us to where we can connect with God directly. I mean, the, the veil has been torn so that we can enter the holy place, really. And so I think, you know, I think about what Paul says in Romans 5.1. He says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, that's Jesus, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. That word access is so key. But the idea here. It says in this grace in which we stand, that word stand, it's confidence, which means we can step into God's presence and confidently stand in his grace, knowing that we are already loved, accepted, approved of. So there's nothing we can do in this moment which would bring condemnation upon us. So I think what Jesus has done is he's given us access to really step into the presence of God without fear of without fear of condemnation. So when our worship does have some hypocrisy in it, we can, we're able to, in that moment, just say, God, I'm sorry for that. And I'm moving forward and there's no fear there. Mm. We can stand in his grace and move forward. And also, you know, it's, we're able to worship God, not just here, but anywhere we go. You know, we worship in spirit and, and truth. That is such a good word for, um, our next question, which is talking about the confession, the confession in yeah. your talk. Um, and for me, in our in our Gurgurt team, we desire for our communities to be a place where people can yeah. confess. And this person says that they want to be honest, but they fear sharing in their small group or they fear sharing these yeah. things where yeah. their confidence comes from the same place. Yep, mm -hmm. that's right. You know, the you have to remember, I, I, God started out in the, I mean, the beginning of creation, what did he say before he created Eve for Adam? He said, it is not good for man to be alone. And his mm -hmm. point is that he has wired us to live life in deep and meaningful relationships. And uh, he wants us to be fully known and, and fully loved. Like the Christian life is never meant to be lived in isolation. isolation. Like we need each other to be able to make it. So part of that is letting other people carry our burdens and it's, it's opening up and being honest. And so my encouragement to people is you need one, at least one or two people with whom you're fully known and fully loved where they can celebrate all of your successes, but then they've seen behind the curtain mm -hmm. 
and they know your weaknesses, your insecurities, and your offensive tendencies. And um, so my encouragement is when you find those people, you need to be specific. There's this tendency in us to just want to generalize and say, well, I struggle with pride. I struggle with lust. Well, that's not going to be helpful. If you're, so I encourage people to always ask the question, what does that mean? What does that struggle mean? So if you tell me you struggle with lust, thank you for being honest with me. What does that specifically mean? Okay, how does that play out? Because only then can someone step in and just say, man, I love you enough. You're manipulating your diet in an unhealthy way. Thanks for telling me what that specifically looks like. Now I can step in and engage and encourage you in specific ways. Okay, you and your spouse are really struggling. And I know that we're talking, it's like an eight on the scale of one to 10 in severity. And it's not just like a two or three, like we're, we're picking at each other, but like we are, you, by being specific and being honest, mm-hmm. you're inviting key people in who can walk through life with you. I tell college mm-hmm. people all the time, you need a small army of men or women who are going to fight the battle with you mm-hmm. because you're in a fight every day of your life. Someone is seeking to take you out. The best thing you can do is enlist some people. It's really uncomfortable to share, but it's also freeing to just, that's how you know you're truly loved is when someone hears all your junk and they don't run, Mm. but instead they say, I love you and I'm with you. There's nothing more enjoyable than feeling that love. I've shared some of the darkest things with people and I think that they're gonna run and then they're just like, man, okay, we're gonna fight. Mm. Let's, let's fight, and that's how I know that I'm loved, and God uses His people to strengthen His people, fight for His people, lead His people to victory. That's awesome. And knowing whatever you're bringing to people, you've brought it before the throne, Yep. and you're fully loved there. That's right. And you can move in confidence. That's exactly um, right. One more question yeah. before you yeah, go. Yeah. Um, it's very important. Uh, my daughter is going to be attending Baylor this fall, Sick says this person. Awesome. Um, so how does she get in, plugged in with Vertical Ministries? Perfect. First night of the semester at Baylor, August 24th, Vertical begins in Waco Hall center of campus 9 p.m it's going to be awesome so they need to be there check out social media which is at vertical waco on twitter instagram and then facebook is uh you know just vertical waco awesome good anyway all right so you got a new one coming good all right well thank you for being here this week and we'll see you back here next week great and we'll see you back here next week for postgrad thank you thanks for joining us for postscript Help us keep the podcast interactive by submitting your questions during the morning services. Learn more at faithbridge.org slash postscript.